Welcome back to another episode of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition's podcast, AJCN in Press. I am here today with an all-star, rock star author team uh, related to a new publication titled Metagenomic Profile of the Fecal Microbiome of Preterm Infants Consuming Mother's Own Milk with Bovine Milk-Based Fortifier or Infant Formula, a cross-sectional study. And I'm going to let the author team introduce themselves. Great. So my name is Sharon Donovan. I'm a professor at the University of Illinois, and my research is very much invested in pediatric nutrition. And I'm very excited to be here today with uh, former grad student Miriam and our um, neonatologist collaborator. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Miriam Aguilar Lopez. I am currently a postdoc at the Texas Children Microbiome Center. Uh, my background is in, in nutrition, and my interest falls in the gut microbiome and everything related to it. Very happy to be here. Hi, my name is Tina Ho. I'm a physician scientist in the Department of Pediatrics and Neonatology Divisions. Um, at the University of South Florida. I study uh, gut microbiome in relation to um, preterm infant nutrition. Um, and I'm glad to be here. These are always my favorite podcasts where we have clinicians and researchers and everything in between. Uh, and this is a great kind of expert lineup here. And so there's something for everyone interested in nutrition and kind of modern microbiome science here with everything from feeding modality to preterm infants, to metagenomic sequencing. So who wants to kind of tackle what was the rationale for diving into this and kind of the approach to, to studying this question? Sure. Um, so I can go ahead and start. So um, Tina, is a, as I mentioned, is a clinician scientist neonatologist, and she was um, at Carl Hospital, which is our local hospital, and was very interested in doing research and reached out to me, and we were able to get some internal funding to start a cohort study. And Miriam actually has a previous publication, which if you're interested in this one, you should look to the other one in Frontiers, which describes the um, development of the microbiome using 16S. And so this is, we called it a cross-sectional study because it's part of a larger cohort. Um, and th so the reason for, for doing this um, study in particular was the, the need to really go beyond 16S, which um, again is telling us a lot about who's there, but not necessarily what, what they're doing. And as um, we had, again, this beautiful longitudinal cohort study of infants that we had multiple samples from, and we could see that there were taxonomic differences, but um, we were really interested in, in trying to get a better handle on what those bacteria were doing it within the context of different feeding modalities. And I don't know, Tina, do you want to talk a little bit about the different ways that we feed preterm infants and some of the key clinical issues? I'm sure. So from the clinician standpoint, uh, for a term infant, we usually feed them with either mom's milk, is breast mom milk or breastfeeding, or if there's, you know, not uh, 
if mom doesn't have breast milk available, that would be formula. However, in preterm infant, uh, mom breast milk alone is not um, adequate in terms of nutrition, uh, in nutritional support. Um, so we typically fortify the mom breast milk with human milk fortifiers. Um, so the rationales for the study is to look at the gut microbiota um, in preterm infant that fed with mom plus human milk fortifier. Uh, versus, you know, formula. Um, most of the human milk fortifier is from bovine-based uh, product. Um, so we want to see if a little bit exposure to, you know, bovine products from the human milk fortifiers um, had, you know, what type of impacts on the gut microbiome compared to bovine-based formula diet. Can you speak at all to kind of concerns with infant formula impacting the gut microbiome? Yeah, so there's there's very good evidence to suggest that feeding mother's own milk, which is what we studied in this paper, or donor human milk, which is um, term milk from a uh, human milk bank, does have better health outcomes than feeding formula, particularly around um, necrotizing enterocolitis and other outcomes. And so there really has been a huge shift in, in the way that we feed preterm infants by really moving more towards providing human milk, um, ideally mother's own milk or donor human milk. And as Tina mentioned, though, um, because these babies aren't meant to be out of the womb yet, you know, they're supposed to still be tucked in a very protected environment and growing very rapidly. So um, the milk that the mothers are making is not sufficient typically to meet their nutritional requirements to, to provide for sufficient growth. And then so for that reason, we supplement um, mother's milk or donor human milk with fortifiers. And in this paper, we focused on the babies with bovine milk fortifier because that those are the most common. But in the larger cohort study, we also um, were able to look at a human milk-based fortifier compared to a bovine milk fortifier as well. And um, again, it's I think part of the justification for doing this, and I, I probably should have started with this, is the fact that about 10% of infants in the U.S. are born preterm. And um, so this is less than 37 weeks. Um, and so that amounts to about 380,000 infants per year. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have is how best to feed them, not only to avoid short-term comorbidities, but also to um, try to get the best longer-term outcomes in terms of neurocognitive development and reduction of, um, you know, long-term effects, for example, in lung or retinal um, development. So, you know, it's a big problem. Um, we've made, I think, a lot of headway in improving the nutrition for these very high-risk children, but one of the big gaps that we saw was the microbiome, because we're really you know, understand much more um, over the last decade about how integral the microbiome is in, you know, programming immune development, brain development, and as well as even regulating metabolic um, development and growth. And, and so that was one of the, the reasons that we formed this team with Miriam and, and Tina and myself to start to look at some of these questions. And I think um, there's a lot of papers out there now on 16S, um, not as many longitudinal, more cross-sectional. But what was a real gap 
was the metagenomics. Um, and because there just were very few papers out there. And um, so maybe we'll let Miriam jump in and talk a little bit about the exciting world of metagenomics. Well, just like Dr. Donovan and Dr. Tina have um, mentioned, uh, we previously studied the 16S uh, sequencing uh, part on, on these babies, but that that provided the information of who who was there, who is which bacteria were present in the preterm gut. But we wanted to go, I would say, more in depth. We wanted to see what these bacteria were doing, and how it it could be mediated by different uh, dietary inputs. Um, so this was the reason of going into uh, the metagenomic profiling of these babies. Um, now, because uh, doing a, a analysis, a metagenomic analysis is more expensive than uh, doing 16S. That's why we only um, did a subset of our, our original uh, sample size. Uh, we made sure to match uh, both groups, the one consuming formula versus the one consuming human milk. We tried to match them as best as we could uh, by age, by gestational age, um, race, mode of delivery. Uh, and from there, uh, once we started the, the analysis, we expected to see if any differences were going to be uh, mostly coming from the dietary input and no other um, variable. And for readers who might not be, or listeners who might not be as familiar, can you kind of break down what the output of 16S RNA data is and the output of shotgun metagenomics data is? I know you said it's who's there versus kind of insight into what they're doing, but what does that actually look like? Yes. So uh, the output for the 16S, well, the 16S RNA gene is a gene that is specific to bacteria. So with the sequencing of this gene, we know that whatever pops up pops out um, from this uh, sequencing, we know that it's going to be from bacteria. Uh, once we uh, once you do the um, the bioinformatic analysis, uh, there's uh, different databases when you can compare the sequencing to that database, and then you'll see your you you will assign a name to to those sequencings sequences. You would assign a name, and you will know what. What, uh, what type of bacteria it is. The whole genome sequencing, uh, as it says like in the name, it's sequencing everything that is there. All the um, DNA information that is there, that's what you're sequencing. Um, and as you could expect, the amount of data that you, you get is massive, 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 a lot of uh, data. And in the bioinformatic process, what you do is you start cleaning up this data to remove possible human DNA that might have been present. And again, there are uh, different databases where you start uh, comparing these uh, sequences that you got from the metagenomic profiling, uh, and you start comparing to different, uh, for example, gene families, uh, databases, uh, pathway databases, and bacterial databases, and that way you kind of like dissect all the all the pieces that you get from the uh, whole genome sequencing. That's great, and I can imagine from different feeding modalities where you have different simple sugars versus some of the bioactives in milk, you might be able to get uh, at least some if there are changes in who is there, and you can maybe make some inferences about what they're doing. Although you'd probably need some some more deep phenotyping beyond just gene sequence to get at that, but wonderful. 
And so how did you guys actually go about doing this? You mentioned you had a cohort study and then you selected from that, you kind of age matched. Uh, so what, what happened next? So when I met uh, Shane Donovan, we, you know, were in the very uh, different, you know, places in terms of research and resources. Um, I'm at a private hospital, which I never have done, you know, some sort of clinical uh, study before. Um, and she's at, you know, a university basically across the street from my unit. Um, and she had been, you know, well-established researchers. Um, so we basically team up and convince, you know, the private hospital that we could collect stools um, in these babies that born less than 33 weeks um, once a week. Um, and we basically collect stool from diapers and put them in a... Uh, you know, box of dry eye to keep them frozen and transport them to um, the university just, you know, five minutes away. Um, and from then we isolated, you know, the DNA from the stool sample and we sequenced the DNA for, you know, sickness um, and also metagenomic for different purposes. Yeah, so it was a really, it was exciting because um, as Tina mentioned, our local hospital doesn't really do a lot of research in um, in this area. They, they're very well known in other areas, but there hadn't been a research done in the NICU for, for quite some time. And so um, with Tina's persistence and hard work, we were able to get the project going and, and really show that we could do the sample collections that the nurses were, of course, always integral to this process. And um, so again, in that first, the larger cohort, we had 97 infants, which we sampled, you know, at least weekly from um, basically as soon as we could start sampling through discharge. And um, that really helped us to see that we could see, we could develop different enterotypes of these infants. We could um, begin to pull out differences between the human milk fortifier and the bovine milk fortifier. And, you know, these are really important questions because, you know, some, for example, the human milk fortifier is much more expensive than the bovine milk fortifier. And so one of the questions that our local Carl Hospital had was, you know, is it worth this investment? Is it really, are there improved outcomes to these infants that's worth this investment of a human milk versus the bovine milk fortifier. So, you know, this this research actually helped to establish um, new collaborations between the University of Illinois and Carl Hospital. It helped to identify and answer some, you know, important clinical questions. And we're still continuing to collaborate with, um, you know, some of the, the research nurses there. And it's, um, that part's been really exciting. And and we're hoping that this paper will get a lot of interest because, as I mentioned, there has not been much done on the, the metagenomic side. I mean, some of the previous work had actually taken 16S data, and, and then you can use a program called PyCross to um, project, to model, you know, what you think functional um, outcomes of that microbiome would be. And, you know, Kevin, as you mentioned, again, doing a whole... Um, genome shotgun sequencing gives us genetic potential, right? Um, the future studies really should be looking at metatranscriptomics or metabolomics because that actually can then give you an idea of, um, you know, what are actually being, what's being transcribed and translated within within the gut. But um, we, I mean, some of the, the key 
conclusions really were that, you know, there does seem to be a, a core microbiome in these babies, but, you know, there were some pathways that seemed to be more enriched in um, the mom-fed infants. They were actually more enriched in the mother's own milk-fed than in the formula-fed um, group. And so that, that type of information and the, the looking at those pathways, I think, is also helpful for us to understand how best to support these infants nutritionally. So in this in this NICU setting, what is the primary, you know, in the decision algorithm, how does a baby get put on formula versus the uh, mom's milk plus the milk fortifier, which could obviously come into the you know topic of is there potential confounding here beyond just feeding modality, but just out of okay. curiosity too, what is the, the decision algorithm? Um, so in most of the NICU across the U.S., um, we have some sort of a feeding protocols. Um, so that means that we, you know, classify um, the infants based on gestational age and postnatal age. And then we will decide uh, based on the risk factors of, you know, developing um, intestinal disease such as necrotizing enterocolitis um, to, you know, uh, modify their uh, feeding regimen. Um, most of um, the unit would start with either donor breast milk or mom's milk. Uh, mom milk would be preferred um, if available. Um, and um, just like we mentioned before, human milk is not, you know, doesn't provide adequate nutritional uh, requirement for preterm infants. So most of them would get uh, human milk fortifier, either bovine base or human milk base fortifier um, to roughly 32 or 34 weeks, you know, corrected gestational age. And then at that time, depends on the availabilities of uh, human milk, um, they would be um, converted to a formula fed um, diet. Um, so it's, it, yes, there are, you know, um, quite a few confounding factors. However, because of the uh, feeding, you know, protocol that most of the unit follow, we can kind of uh, limit those, uh, you know, confounding factors in our studies. And for the, you know, cross-sectional um, study for this one, we actually also control for the postnatal age, where the stool sample was analyzed, um, because postnatal age can affect the uh, stool microbiome in preterm infants. So more specifically for this unit, um, infant that's born less than, you know, 34 weeks would uh, automatically get either mom's milk or donor breast milk. Um, and by the time they get to certain volumes of feed, they will get, you know, uh, human fortifier uh, adding into their human milk diet. Um, and that would last up to about 32 weeks, correct gestational age. And then they would, you know, get converted into uh, formula if they don't have uh, mom's milk. So they would come off the donor breast milk about 32 to 34 weeks. Yeah, so I, th I think it's, Kevin, the, this idea of confounding is really critically important because as Tina was describing and how it works in many NICUs is that the what they're being fed has a lot to do with their um, gestational age at delivery. The younger babies are going to be more likely to be um, provided with human milk, whether they're on mom's own milk or donor human milk. But, you know, Carl Hospital in particular had a very, you know, structured 
setting in terms of, you know, at certain ages, they were getting human, only human milk products. So human milk and human milk fortifier, then they could move into, you know, um, donor milk or bovine milk fortifier, and then eventually to bovine milk um, based formula. And a lot of that, again, is based on um, postnatal age. So you have gestational age of delivery, and then you have this postnatal progression. So there is a little bit of confounding with postnatal age and microbiome development. But the fact actually that it was so structured, um, Miriam was really able to go back in the longitudinal study and, and look at how those different feeding patterns, you know, were related um, because we knew when they were going through these changes. Um, you know, a lot of NICUs don't use the human milk fortifier, um, human milk-based fortifier. They're using the bovine milk. And um, so this is one of the few papers that's actually been able to compare that within the same NICU. Because one of the problems that we have in the field is that a lot of what colonizes these babies is environmental um, microbes as well. And so um, other papers have shown that, you know, there's NICU to NICU variations so that, you know, Tina and I have published another paper with Miriam where we compared babies at our um, NICU versus babies at University of South Florida. And um, you see differences because they're in a very artificial environment, right? They're um, in isolators, they're not having necessarily a lot of skin contact. Um, over 60% of them are cesarean derived as well. So, you know, this, I guess we could step back to say, okay, not only are they preterm, but a lot of the way that we have to manage these infants for their health can also be very detrimental to their microbiome and that, you know, they, they may have had an intrauterine infection, which triggered preterm delivery. They're delivered cesarean um, they're oftentimes given broad spectrum antibiotics and, and then they may spend a little time on parenteral nutrition before they're, you know, transitioned to full oral feeding. So all of these things kind of um, can really get them off on the wrong foot, so to speak, in terms of getting a healthy microbiome established. And, and so, you know, things like what we found with the, the mom's own milk, for example, in this paper, that it, it was leading to more bifidobacteria. So, that, so that's a good outcome. Um, and also, just as an aside, I think one of the interesting pathways in this paper were the vitamin K synthesizing enzymes, because we actually just published another paper in um, current developments in nutrition with term infants, which we also showed um, with metagenomics. This is with Sarah um, Booth's group that the microbes that are making the vitamin K in the gut of term infants and the microbe. Um, synthetic pathways were very different between breastfed and formula-fed term infants. So I think this is all pointing to the importance of the gut in synthesizing vitamin K in, in the neonatal intestine, whether it's a preterm or term infant. So um, yeah, we're all very excited about, you know, the metagenomic data and how that can, you know, help us to better understand sort of that intraluminal environment in, in terms of, because that's likely what's really cross-talking you know, with the infant um, metabolism and, and being absorbed and all of those things. Yeah, as you're talking and as you know, I'm thinking we're entering the world of precision nutrition here, this is almost dizzying the number of inputs that ultimately determine what your kind of gut microbial ecology and function is going to be. And so it's 
hopefully NIH is going to be funding lots of prospective cohort studies of these things where you can assess <laughs> all these factors. But yeah. this is a, this paper is a really wonderful start to it. And I think you definitely are onto something with kind of identifying mode and infant feeding as being a, a factor that matters quite a bit. And yeah. I am remembering why I, I liked NICU dietetics, but I did not go into NICU dietetics. <laughs> There's so many uh, you know, isolating the mode of feeding when the that mode of feeding is so dynamic and changes day to day can be really interesting. And so I, it's uh, kudos to you guys as researchers for doing your best to kind of isolate that. So what's next for for this cohort or for everyone as they approach metagenomics? Any any little insight into uh, beyond this paper? Yeah, well, as I was mentioning before we started the podcast, I mean, we had really hoped to follow up on these these children, but um, COVID got in the way of of that. We wanted to you know get samples now that they're a little bit older and relate that to um, their microbiome in the NICU, their microbiome now. Um, but unfortunately, so I think that this, this cohort is done, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're continuing to be very interested in, in the preterm gut development and preterm um, microbiome. And, and Tina is very actively, maybe Tina, you can talk about some of the work that you're doing in um, the University of South Florida. Yeah, so one of the things that, um, I'm, I'm trying to look at is beyond just the you know metagenomics, but also in the combination of metaproteomics uh, and metabolomics and so on. So they all these information you can get from uh, infant stool sample. These are the uh, infants are very vulnerable, so we can you know get like blood sample easily. So we have to rely on uh, waste products like urine sample and you know stool sample. Um, and to look at what their body is actually, you know, doing and what are the uh, microbiome um, in the gut actually doing. So I'm in the process of learning how to analyze, you know, the multi-omics data um, to predict, you know, certain outcome, for example, to predict, you know, the onset of um, anemia um, and also to look at the changes um, in, you know, high dose for low dose uh, iron supplementation because, uh, you know, too much ions in the gut can also uh, increase the growth of pathogenic bacteria. So that's where I'm heading to. Like in my perfect world, <laughs> I will, you know, I would like to take a cohort of preterm babies and not only look at the at other gut microbiome, but also look at other factors that affect the microbiome, just like Dr. Donovan said, the, their environment, they are their mother, the race, because uh, we've seen some differences in that aspect. And then from there, follow these babies according to their uh, mode of feeding, uh, their age. You know, look look at the whole picture from different perspectives. Uh, that would be in my ideal world, <laughs> maybe one day. Wonderful. Well, I hope everyone uh, listening goes and dives into this paper and I also just really wanted to highlight, I think this is a really nice having local hospitals collaborate with universities to kind of really leverage the mix of resources there. Uh, you guys were talking about it earlier, but I did the same thing in my PhD, worked with the local hospital on the pregnancy supplementation side of things. And I think it's really invaluable collaborations. And often you're getting much more real world data and not the kind of 
academic medical center, uh, maybe necessarily, but what's happening in, in the hospitals and you have really wonderful nursing staff and OBGYNs and uh, NICU uh, physicians kind of helping you out. So hopefully we see lots more of that in the future. And uh, yeah, any, any final parting thoughts? Well, I'd just like to thank you for the opportunity to come and highlight our paper and um, I hope that people enjoy it. I'd also refer you to, as I mentioned, the, the other uh, manuscript, which describes the whole cohort, as well as another systematic review that of um, factors influencing development of the preterm microbiome that uh, Miriam wrote as part of her PhD. So it was really a pleasure being her advisor. And, you know, she learned a lot and she taught me a lot around the metagenomics and, and being able to collaborate with Tina. And even when Tina's moved to Florida, um, we're still able to keep the collaboration going. So it's really been a pleasure. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure the show notes contain everything, uh, all these these links to these papers so that folks can go check them out. Yeah, I, I think we still continue to collaborate and I still have my cohort in Florida so we can continue on those. So endless work. Well, we'll have to have you back on for uh, phosphoproteomic and metabolomic analysis <laughs> of the preterm gut or something. Hopefully you come to AJCN with it. Okay. Awesome. Thank well, thank you. you guys all so much. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much.